0: I know it's um, been a number of years since Jay Leno was sort of the king of the late night shows, but for those of you who remember back in the day when he was doing this, one of the little skits he used to do was a man on the street. And this is where they would go out to some busy pedestrian part of the city in LA, and they would ask people on the street some really basic questions and get some really embarrassing answers. And on one of the days I saw they had, they went out on the street and they asked people, name one of the Ten Commandments. What do you think was the most common answer? You got, you got the one in your mind which you would answer? Well, the most common answer they got was God helps those who help themselves. <laughs> what? I mean, it's not, not one of the one of the ten, not even in the Bible. You know, it has its roots somewhere else. And apparently at some point, Benjamin Franklin included it in one of his publications and it spread everywhere. And now apparently a majority of people think that's one of the Ten Commandments. But we like that. I think as Americans, because it sounds like something really American-like, right? I saw uh, an interview not long back with Michael Bloomberg, um, the former mayor of New York City, who's in his 70s, and he's starting to think about his mortality. And he said in this interview that um, if there is a God that because of all the good he's done, that he's not worried that he's going to even be interviewed. He's going to be able to walk straight in kind of a thing. So again, a very American thing, that we, that's what we want. And I, I'm going to tell one, one more vignette on this. A couple years ago, a few years ago, I got, was involved in um, the election of our new bishop. And we had a clergy retreat out in, at Camp Allen in Navasota and all the clergy are together and all the candidates at that point came in to meet with us. And you're like, what kind of cool questions are the cool clergy going to ask these people? One of the questions that they asked, was not me, was, um, what is your favorite heresy? <laughs> and um, I wasn't a goober enough to a- ask that one, but I did sit there and think, okay, how would I answer that? And I came, eventually I decided that the heresy I would go with was Pelagianism, which is um, whether or not this old British monk in the very, very early church really said it this way or not, it's come to represent the idea that you can earn your own salvation, that through your own works and efforts, you could get there. And it's a heresy in the church. Today in our reading from Galatians, Paul is, if you really look at it and focus on it, is going to lay waste to all those ideas about it being something that we can earn or something that we can do. And so what we're doing today, we're continuing a sermon series we've been doing. We're doing this seven weeks. This is week three, where we're going to march through the book of Galatians, and um, we're going to read every single word of the book, and uh, we're going to cover the whole thing, and Today, we're going to look at the second part of chapter two, and I'm going to give just a little background, and I'm going to divide it up into into two movements uh, of sorts. But where we are on this, for those of you who are are just coming in or joining us, um, this is a book written by Paul. Um, There's not any question that he wrote it, really, amongst scholars. There's not any question about the integrity of it, that this is the text he wrote. There is some question about dates, but I think 54, 55 range is kind of the range that, that I go with some of the scholars that that I think um, that I back and the context you'll remember from the last two weeks is that Paul is the one who established the church there and after he's left there's a group from Jerusalem of Jewish Christians who've arrived on the scene and they're preaching that Paul had an incomplete gospel and that Paul should have said you need to be under the law you need to be circumcised. You need to be all this kind of stuff. He's laying on all, they're laying on all these other kinds of things. And Paul is angry. And he's writing in this letter, really worked up to try to correct this situation. And after he skips the Thanksgiving, he jumped into the body. We covered that on week one. And then, and then he, he starts going after it in chapter two. And last week, Eric talked about how, as you look at Paul sort of going after Peter, you get an example of how, Christians do disagree and have disputes. That's a fact. And um, Eric was sort of holding up this as an example of of a good healthy way that Christians who have disagreements should go at it. And that's kind of where we left off. And so today we're picking up from there and we want to go back and look at where Paul's going to go from there because Paul is going to continue his discussion sort of hypothetically with Peter. I'll say more about that. And the really the main question of the whole book is really the question of today's text that we're covering is how is a Jewish Christian supposed to live and William Barclay the commentator says you know we're getting to the heart of the whole thing today and some of you are thinking to yourself okay wait a minute did he just say that was for Jewish Christians that's not me I can tune this thing out that's not the this is a really rich book that even though he's dealing with Jewish Christians, he's going to go in deep into doctrine. He's going to go into how we're freed from legalism, which is something, if you haven't noticed, the church struggles with to the, today. I mean, all these kinds of issues keep coming up in different forms. And so there's a lot, it says a lot for us. And the heart of what he's really going to go at today is it's not about works of the law, but it's about faith in Christ through, through God's grace. That's kind of the, the really high level of what we're doing. But I want to kind of look at the passages. And the very first part of this Paul is going to talk about the shared conversion experience that he has with Peter. So let me just read the first two verses. And Paul is kind of summarizing in a really dense way some arguments that he made earlier, I think, um, with Peter. But this is what he says. I'm going to back up from what we read by just one verse. He says, when We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners... Know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law. Because by observing the law, no one will be justified. I mean, so when we start out with this thing, Paul's saying we, like who's we? Who's he talking about? He's not talking about what you might think initially. He's not talking about the Galatians and him. He's talking about Peter and him or he's talking about Jewish Christians and, and him perhaps. But I think it's probably Paul and Peter he's talking about. And he's talking about how they you know, how he starts out by saying we who are Jews by birth. He's talking about all these great privileges that they have because they were born this way. Some people have called it, and it's not meant to be derogatory, but some people call it the Jewish ego. This idea that we've got this birthright. And we've got all these privileges that are going to flow from that. And we're children of Abraham. We've got all this stuff. And he contrasts it in the very next part of this by talking about the sinful Gentiles. And if you don't know what he's saying there, we'll we'll get it wrong. Because, you know, sometimes we watch people and we'll say, oh, wow, look at that guy. I mean, look at what a sinner he is. And we start looking at all the people and collecting notes on it this way. I was thinking about this yesterday (laughs) because um, I had a phone conversation with my mom. And my mom is like virtually deaf now. So she calls me up so she knows who she's got on the phone, she thinks, it's my cell phone, so she assumes it's me. We have this one-sided conversation where she she just talks until she can finally hear me say, I need to go. And then I will, because she can't hear me, and then I will text her with some follow-up because again, it's been a one-sided conversation. So yesterday she tells me, and I'm not gonna get into politics, don't get worked up on this, but she tells me in the conversation that she's received a solicitation from one of the political parties. And that she's busy writing a check to this political um, organization. And my comment to her which she couldn't hear me on the phone was like, what a weird week to be doing that. Like a lot of people think the head of that part of the party has got some evil going on there. And um, she didn't hear a word of it. So I texted her to this. I said, are you sure you want to do that? I'm glad we have a variety of opinions and everything else, but there's a lot of... A lot of people are raising questions about evil taking place here, and and a good mom writes back with this. She says, uh, "Pray for this person because he, the powerful position he's in. He's evil. Sometime I know a lot of good evil men. <laughs> some some are leaders in the church in churches. <laughs> some have not learned to love their neighbors. Thanks, mom and my." <laughs> And my counselor thanks you for keeping her employed. <laughs> that is not what Paul's doing here. Paul's not, Paul's not watching a bunch of people saying, those Gentiles are all a bunch of sinners. This is more of a category thing where at the, at the end of the day, what they're saying is the Gentiles don't have the law. They don't live according to the law. The whole category are sinners. So that's, that's where he gets this, this expression. And then he follows that by saying, You know, good works under the law, we know this, is not going to bring justification because justification is by faith in Christ. And in these little short passages, there is so much stuff. So what I want to do is just spend a minute to just peel off three pieces of it. Like, what are we talking about justification? What about works in the law? And what are we talking about faith in Christ? Just three quick things on that. But when we talk about justification, we're talking about really a courtroom, sort of a legal thing. That's saying, we're not getting into what really happened, what, whether the person is guilty or not, or that kind of stuff. We're saying that this legal consideration is being done, that they're, they're going to be justified as being right. And I think about an example of this uh, that I've heard about. This professional hockey player in Canada named Bob Sheffield was a very aggressive professional hockey player, and um, apparently he got too aggressive at one point, and he Uh, took his aggression off the ice rink and took it into a pub setting and got into a barroom fight. And unlike the um, referees in the NHL that would sit there and look at those guys going, "Yeah, a little more, there's no blood yet, we need our ratings up or whatever. Apparently the police didn't do that. They jumped in and he got arrested and he got convicted and he got this all on his criminal record. After his career's over, he converts to Christianity Gets his wife converts to Christianity. They go all in. They eventually get into being uh, working working for a parachurch group, and they eventually felt led to um, go help out in a position in the United States. They apply for the visa, rejection because he's got a criminal record. So he applies for a thing in Canada called a Queen's pardon, and they get with the Solicitor General and they submit all this stuff. And eventually, the, um, it gets allowed. And the way the um, proclamation goes from there is it say, they read this. It says, Whereas, having since been implored on behalf of the said Robert Jones Sheffield, to the extent of pardoning him in respect to the convictions against him, and whereas the Solicitor General, having submitted a report to us, had now, know ye therefore, having taken these things in consideration... That we are willing to extend the royal clemency on him that the Robert J. Sheffield we have pardoned, remitted, and released from every penalty to which he was liable in pursuance thereof. So it wasn't ever saying he didn't do this stuff. It's just saying the law, now it's scrubbed, it's completely gone. So the next time he applies for anything, do you have a criminal record? No, gone, so he can keep moving. That's the kind of concept we're talking about with justification. And Compare and contrast that now to the next word when we talk about works under the law, and Paul's got a beef with this. Paul's concern with this is not doing good works per se, but Paul's issue with this is it's people who are approaching it by saying, "If I do this stuff under the law, I can earn God's favor." That is what Paul's against, because it's at the end of the day that is not how you'll get justification. It's all about grace. And Paul is not against good works, right? Because later on in Ephesians, he's going to say we're um, God's workmanship for created for good works in Christ in Ephesians 2. So he's not against all that. He's just saying trying to earn your righteousness through the works is not going to, that's not what justification is about. And if you'll allow me here, like, I don't know how everybody's minds work, but I want like just a two minute, um, go off track for a second, go four wheeling for, for just like two minutes. When I read all this, I start to think if ju- justification doesn't involve law and Paul's saying all this, I start to think, well, okay, what, what do we think about the Jews? Like, what are we going to do with this, right? I mean, like, and I know there, you know, we talk about being a big tent. I know there's part of the Christian church that is like really super um, narrow in how they see this and all this other stuff. I'm just going to give you for reflection and my thought on this, what the oldest church and the biggest church in the world thinks about this the Roman Catholic Church, they've done a lot of writing on this. And what they say about it is this is, the Jews are God's chosen people. God gave the word of God initially to them. God has used them, God gave them a covenant and he's not gonna take it back. So however you wanna work through this mystery, we're not sitting around worrying about the Jews. In fact, so the the Roman Catholic position is, they don't have an official outreach to the Jews. There's no official institution within the Roman Catholic Church trying to convert the Jews. But they'll go on to say individuals should go ahead and um, give testimony to Jesus Christ because it's the fullness of God's revelation. So they're not, so they're, you get what I'm saying with this. There's a, lot, there's a whole sermon right here. And I just feel compelled to give a little bookmark to say as we walk by that, as we talk about the law not being any means for justification this way. So right now, we, I mean, we, we've talked about justification. we talked about works of the law. The final thing on this is this bit about um, faith in Christ. And when we talk about that, what does it mean? Is it assent? Meant to some kind of intellectual assent? Like what, what is it? Well, I know this much. It's not some magical incantation formula. If you can only say these words, you know, you'll get this magic and do this. It's something more than that. And even a lot of evangelicals today We'll come around to saying that. One of the evangelical commentators that I was reading, um, Scott McKnight, he defines it this way: He says, We may thus define faith as the initial and continual response of trust in and obedience to Christ by a person for the person by for the purpose of acceptance by God. It's it's this idea of initial and ongoing trust and obedience. And, you know, for us, it's, um, it takes a, as many different patterns as there are people in here. And, you know, you think about the two that are arguing today. Paul and Peter are completely different, right? Peter's got this long, bumpy road of how it looks. Paul's got this sort of, in a way, sort of a short, to the point, um, quick kind of conversion story that goes on through his ministry. And for each of us it's a call for us to just keep walking in this, right? That's part of what it is, trusting and walking, trusting and walking. That's what we're called to. And the final part of this um, chapter we're looking at today that I want to wind up with is, is that Paul ends it by saying, so he's saying that's our common conversion. Then he turns and says, here are the ramifications of it. Here are the implica- implications of it. One of the things that the people on the other side are, are arguing against Paul in his absence is that Paul left everybody lawless because he didn't do anything with the law. And Paul is saying, that's not the case. I'm not lawless. And God's revelation is in the law. And there's even a grace in the law. But it's not the main deal. And Paul is saying, just because we're saying it's not the main deal, doesn't mean that we're abandoning the moral will or moral life. He's saying that's found in following Christ and in the Holy Spirit. That's essentially what he's saying. And along with that, he's saying... Even Jewish Christians who you think you're not sinners like the Gentiles, coming to Christ is coming to own that we're sinners and that we're broken. And that's true of all of us. Even the people who up here. I mean, we're all sinners. Everyone, we're all sinners, and part of coming to Christ is knowing that we're sinners. And this is really hard, for, Paul is saying, for the Jewish Christians because they've been raised under the law to think differently. But Paul is saying, come and find this grace and this, that you don't have to earn it kind of thing and find freedom in it. That's the first implication. The second implication is there's no going back. And I'm not, I'm not going to dwell on this, but you can't go back and rebuild it because he's kind of nailing Peter for saying, you know, you, you sat and had table fellowship with Gentiles. You said it was all okay. Now you're wanting them to go back and get circumcised to be on the law. Shame on you. You're, you're transgressing yourself and doing that. That's the second thing. And the third and final thing that's sort of on this is that he comes back to saying, coming to Christ, I'm dying to myself. And what he's really saying is this Jewish ego, this Jewish sense of privilege has got to go. That that's dead. And what it is is coming, we're not throwing out grace, the grace that was in the law, but we're finding grace in Christ and coming to this place of being made right. That's the journey. Man, this is a passage that if you read it every single day this week, you will find something new in it. There, I mean, this is like super dense and a lot of stuff here. And the, I think the two things for sure that I would put out here to reflect on this week is one, I think a passage like this is always a call for us to reflect on God's grace and the power of it. And I think there, I mean, we cannot celebrate enough what grace means. I was reading two two quick stories to end on. Um, one was from such an incredible theologian that, he, that he's almost hard to read. Um, and all our seminary folks, Miros, Miroslav Wolf from Yale. I mean, I've got his books and I have to read them really slow and like try to sort them out. He's Eastern Orthodox. But he talks about this experience where he went to visit a, a poor community in Maryland with this guy and they're walking around looking at all this stuff and the guy he's with was talking to him about, you know what this community really needs is an understanding of justification by faith. And he was like, man, is that doctrine, you know, like, what's he talking about? And he said he left there. He reflected on it more. And he said he, what he realized, what he was saying is, for, for this place where this poor area outside, of, outside the D.C. area was, there were all these people that were living in a bad way. He's like, they may never get to, to have a sense of accomplishment through achievement, but they can have a sense of dignity and equality by recognizing that we're all on the same plane, that it's all, you will never earn your position before God. We're all on the same plane as everyone else because it's something that's a gift. It's about grace. You do not earn it. You may want to earn it. You may think you've got everything you have because you deserved it and you earned it. That's not it. Grace is, puts us all in the same place. And, and the final story I'm gonna leave you with is um, kind of a cool story. I'm always looking for stories of how to understand grace because I think we struggle with it. But I heard the story recently of this professor and I will say it was at a Christian university. I think this would only work once. But he, um, it's final exams, and all the students are busy studying. And the, the guy schedules, the professor scheduled a review session right before the exam. So come to this room. We're going to go over the stuff, and then we're going to go next door and take the test. And they got into the review room, and um, he's in there going through all the stuff they expected from the notes. And then he starts getting into all this other stuff. And people are like scratching their head going, what is this? Finally, somebody brave enough says, yeah, you never talked about that. To which the professor said, yeah, I, you remember I said in the syllabus that everything in the text you're responsible for? And everybody's just starting to sweat, you know, it's dripping down. You got all these other sections. So then they finish the review section and they walk into the next room. All the tests are out and they get seated and they get their tests. And then they open it up. And all the questions are there. And he says, we're gonna, we'll go through these now. All the answers have been put in. And at the end of it, he said the final paragraph of the exam said, you've all made A's. I answered the questions for you. And he, allegedly, the story goes that at the end, he asked each one of them, do you think you could have made an A on this? Because apparently he made it super tough. And it's like, no, you couldn't have. But you're all getting an A. That's kind of a concept of grace. It's not something we're going to earn. It's something... We put our bit in, but at the end of the day, God gives it to us. Lots to keep going. I encourage you to read that passage during the week. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you for loving us and calling us as your children through grace. Lord, help us to keep walking. Help us to keep walking and celebrating the grace that you give. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.